We have come to the last night of the meeting. Where has time gone? It seems as though it was just yesterday that we were beginning, but the reality is this is the sixth and final lesson of the meeting, and some of you have been here every session, and we do want to say thank you for your participation in the meeting. Tonight we're going to wrap up this series of gospel meetings by a lesson that is intended to strengthen our families. Our families need strengthening for many reasons, one of which is because we live, as 1 John 5, 19 says, in a world that does lie in wickedness. I would suggest to you tonight that we go to the scripture to find our strength, and as the good brother mentioned in his prayer, that our faith might be fortified, that we might encourage each other to put upon the whole armor of God, that we therefore might be able to withstand the fiery darts of the wicked one, Ephesians the sixth chapter. If we were to quickly think about the Old Testament from Nehemiah's perspective, do you remember when they were rebuilding the wall? When they were moving to, to bring Israel back to its prior good standing, the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah was having to ward off and to fight off all of the forces that were against the rebuilding project. Sanballat and Tobiah and other ones who were absolutely against the movement. Nehemiah said this to all the workers. He said, fight for your families, men. Fight for your families. So tonight, if we were to title this lesson, it could possibly be strengthening the home. It could also simply be fighting for our families. We are in a fight, not with bows and arrows as they were then, not a physical fight, but we are in the greatest fight of all. We are in a fight between good and evil and for the souls of men. And we start, first and foremost, in our own homes is the place where the greatest mission field begins. We are to convert and have an environment that's conducive for our children as they grow up into adolescence and into pre-adult years that they would obey the gospel and carry on the flame of the torch to the next generation, 2 Timothy 2 and 2. Tonight, the first point in this lesson is simple. To limit the world's influence upon our children in our homes. Now notice that I use the word limit, not eliminate. Because we have to be optimistic but also realistic. We're not to remove ourselves from the world. God did not ask us to go up into the mountaintops and in some small quaint cabin divorce ourselves wholly from the fundamental living in this world. But John would tell us we are not to love the world. Remember that passage? 1 John 2 and 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. For all that is in the world, all that is in the world is not of the Father. And those things are inclusive of the pride of life, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And the Bible says that these things are not of the Father but of the world and the world passed away. So tonight we want to emphasize in our homes to strengthen our homes in fighting for our families to be successful spiritually first and foremost, especially in their youth, especially in their childlike days. There should be a protection and a limit from the world. Someone says, well, it's their choice, yes. But listen, there's a reason that God gave children to parents. Children are to be in an environment where the world is limited from them. They have to have time for their own heart to develop, for their conscience to be protected, 
for their intellect to be stimulated by the proper education of Scripture. And therefore, I encourage you tonight, based upon biblical principles, to limit how much you let of the world into your home. Yes, you have to go places. You're going to be out in society. I'm not asking you to be a recluse. But the Bible demands this, that we live a life that is separative and distinctive from the world. And if our children do not see in our example a life that is dedicated to Christ, then they're going to see a huge disconnect between what we teach and what we do. And if what we teach is completely different than what we do, children will see that disconnect and refer to that as hypocrisy. And even if they don't know how to pronounce that word or the definition of that word, they will understand it nonetheless. Y'all with me? So the first thing is we should limit the world. And I'm simply pointing this out because there is too much of the world in the church today. We should drive the world out, not allow the world to lead us. Let me ask you a question. Is the world influencing us more than we as the body of Christ are influencing the world? We are to be a light, a city set upon a hill. We are to be the reflection of Jesus on the earth. We are to allow all men to see Christ within us. And we cannot do that if we allow the world to saturate our lives. So just very quickly, we ought to pay attention to how we dress. I'm not talking about wearing a suit all the time. You know, I don't wear this unless I'm preaching. I, I dress in normal clothes. Someone didn't know that. It's what I never saw you outside of well because y'all don't usually see me in the pulpit. But I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't dress immodestly. I decided when I became a Christian and when I became a preacher and a husband and a father that I needed to set the right example. So I'm trying to be cognizant, aware of how I dress and what example that might lend to another person. Ladies, gentlemen, teenagers, I beseech you this evening to dress in such a way as God would be pleased. Honor him in your dress, in your speech, in your conduct. In the places you go, the people you frequent, the relationships you build, honor God. Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things, if you seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. But when we seek the world and the world's favor over the divine grace of God, we land in the pitfalls and snares of the devil one after another. Come out from among them, Paul said, and be ye separate. So tonight, I urge us all, strengthen our families. Fathers, take the lead. Don't allow the world to overly influence you. Sometimes when you're listening to TV or watching TV or the radio or whatever you're doing, social media, you have to be able to filter those things. You cannot let everything into your mind continually that's not proper. Some programs are all right. And some, as my great-grandmother used to say, are fitting to watch. You know, that's not probably proper English, but that's how she said it. They're just not fitting to watch. And so you need to be thinking in, in your mind when you're going to choose to watch something as a family, is this something that's going to draw us closer to God or is this going to cause our children to see a disconnect between what we believe and what we obey? All right, as we move along, I want to go to the Old Testament tonight to look at some things. Number one, I want to remind us to strengthen our families. We need to limit the world. We covered that or touched the top of the, of the subject. 
Brother Scoggins will go on in deeper in a few weeks, maybe on that. Uh, point two, we would want to eliminate all seeds of dysfunction. See, I cannot control the world completely. That's why I said limited. I have to be realistic. We have to live in this world. You have to work for a living, right? But now, when we come to our own homes, we then have much more control on what goes on. And we can choose as fathers, mothers ought to be there to encourage and, and to assist, we can eliminate the seeds of dysfunction. What do you mean? Well, the Bible says that the word of God is the seed of the kingdom, Luke 8 and 11. And I'm using that point that a seed produces only after its kind. So if good seed of corn produces corn, then seeds, even of neglect, abandonment, abuse, whatever it is, seeds that are wrong, of the wrong mentality, spiritually speaking, they will produce something that God is not pleased with. Somebody has to break the cycle. So let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, in Genesis, the 37th chapter, the Bible says, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says that Israel, in reference to Jacob, Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his children. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now the next verse is sad because here's what it says. Because of this, his brothers hated him and did not speak peaceably unto him. Now this is just one example. We could give hundreds of examples in the Old Testament. Make a great Bible study to go back in the Old Testament and look for seeds that were sown that were not correct. And how that magnified itself and how that extended itself in future generations. So because Jacob, because he did that, all of Joseph's brothers hated him. So much so they really was going to kill him. Reuben somewhat talked him out of it. He's thrown into a pit, but news comes back to the father that He's dead. He's not, but news comes back that he's dead. The father is completely depressed. He's disturbed in his spirit. But the truth is, much of that would not have happened had he not shown favoritism to Joseph. So that's one example of many we could give. Now let's talk about jealousy. When parents, as well intended as they are, show favoritism to a child, that can cause many problems in a home. But again, think about, you can plug anything into this. Whether a father is too harsh and shows not the love of God to his house, or whether he's too relaxed and does not hold his children accountable. You can plug anything into that. Anything we do as parents, when we sow seeds and we invest in our children, and when we are parenting our children, we're all going to make mistakes, and I've sure made mine. But we need to be very aware and walk very circumspectly that everything that we do as parents is going to somehow trigger and, and cause things to happen later in life. Some of those things we will never be able to get back. Have you ever been to some family reunions and it's a brawl? So much so that people don't even want to go? Well, how does all that happen? Where does all that tension and malice and, and spite come from sometimes? Sometimes from things like favoritism. 
other things as well. Here's another. We don't have time. We got a lot of things to talk about tonight. This is last night. And uh, someone here told me I had two hours. Who was that? Someone told me I had. No, they did. They told me I had two hours. But I'm going to cut that in half and only go one. But here we are in 1 Samuel 2. All right, 1 Samuel 2. Remember Eli, next to the last judge. He's an overweight fella, and uh, he's stricken in age. He's way on up there in years. And basically, I would say Eli was a faithful man overall. But Eli did make some tragic mistakes. Do you remember specifically? He allowed his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, pardon if the pronunciation is not exact, but I believe that's correct, Hophni and Phinehas, he allowed them, oh, he rebuked them for it, yes. He questioned them as to why they were doing it, but he did not remove them from the service of the congregation. And he had the ability to do it. He scolded them as a father, but he did not restrain them in the religious capacity in which he could have. That's why the Bible says he restraineth them not. What were they doing? Two things. They were having intimate relationships with ladies that they had no business being with in the front of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. My, my. Can you imagine? What's that going to do? Well, that's going to cause the, the worshipers, the congregants, to be very low in their spiritual, their spiritual mindset regarding worship. It's going to affect people because all people's going to be thinking about is, well, why is it that Hophni and Phinehas are allowed to do this? It's Eli's sons. Well, we cannot, we cannot make our adult children do what is right. I'm fully aware of that. But what God is wanting Eli to do and all fathers is to hold them accountable to whatever office in which we serve. If that's a father, if that's in the Old Testament, a priest or a prophet or, or whether that be a judge, he did not go far enough and the text warns us about this. Something else Hophni and Phinehas were doing, they were taking the sacrifices and indulging in them presumptuously and making that which was holy into that which was common and it was causing the people to be very dismal in regards to their mindset towards holy things. Now listen to what the divine record says in 1 Samuel 2. Because Eli allowed these things to go on, he says, there's a sign that's going to come to your house, Eli. Both of your sons will die the same day. But what if he had restrained his sons in religious capacity? What if he had pulled their ability to, to officiate in that capacity? Maybe things would have turned out differently. So just like, just like in Genesis, in regards to favoritism shown unto Joseph caused many problems later, it is also the case now with Eli in the days of Samuel that that also was something to be considered. Let's keep going. Do you remember on the occasion where the Bible says that King David walked out upon the rooftop of the house and he looked and he saw at glance Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now it says that for a reason, young people, because David had a loyalty to Uriah the Hittite. This was not just a lady. 
This was not just any woman. This was the wife of one of his senior officials, one of his close, loyal men. And he looks down in what very likely was an innocent glance. He's on the rooftop and he sees, and the Bible says, she was very beautiful. But let's stop and talk this evening. How can we have a lesson in 2022 about strengthening our homes, limiting the world, avoiding sowing seeds of dysfunction that can go down to two or three generations, restraining our sons and daughters the best we can, how could we have this lesson unless we discuss tonight the subject of pornography? It is killing our people. And I don't mean just to the church. I mean it is killing our country. Many, many homes are wrecked by the destructiveness of pornography. But young people, pornography is not something new. Oh yes, it's more accessible maybe because of the phones and because of the, uh, of the tablets and, and it's easier, quote, to access those things maybe. And seemingly, you feel as though there's a veil of protection over you because no one is, quote, looking over your shoulder, but that's not the truth. Mr. Google, we'll call him, and, and all the other technological uh, savvy recording, which is all out there. there, there's not anything that you can do that's not recorded somewhere. But that's not really the reason that you should avoid pornography. The real reason you should avoid it, because there is an all-seeing eye. There is a God in heaven who not only condemns that, but he actually tells us in the written record why it is that he wants us to stay away from that. And one place is right here. What seems to be at first an innocent accident or a glance, the Bible says that he sent after the woman and inquired of her. And the text goes on to say that she comes up, the messengers bring her unto him, and he has relations with her. And the Bible then informs us that she sends word back to David, guess what? I'm with child. I'm with child. Now, that tells me that our eyes are wonderful blessings that God gave us. We take for granted some of the richest aspects of our life to be able to hear to be able to taste, to be able to see, to be able to read, to be able to see the beauty of people and the great majesty of God's creation, to be able to just look at someone in the eye and see their expression. All during COVID, I miss seeing people's smiles. Look over there and all you saw was a mask. I enjoy, don't you know that God made us creatures that we express personality and, and I like to look somebody in the eye when I'm talking to them, not just an email. I, I like to look at somebody, see their response and their, their body language. I try to be observant. My, y'all been attentive this week. Only one of you dozed off. No, I'm just kidding. But here's an example, really, of what is a lesson about pornography. See how an innocent glance. Now, sometimes it's true. You can be driving down the road and just happen to glance over on a billboard. Whoa, not right. Better look back to the road. Sometimes you're walking in the mall and you just happen to look up and see something really that's inappropriate. I can't control how other people dress, am I right? But I tell you what I can control, my eyeballs. And at the first glance, if I immediately turn and think and move towards spiritual things, all right. But if I go back to look, that what I call that gawk, 
people have, and they'll turn and they'll look and look and look. Now, what are you looking at now, brother? You, know, you already saw her. Now, what are you looking at? Now, whose fault is it? So, Job mentioned, we have a covenant with mine eyes, right? Our eyes are to be that which we only allow into our eyes what is filtered by the word of God. We have to learn as men how to look at other women. If it's an older lady, look at her as your mother. If it's a younger lady, look at her as your baby sister. If it's someone your own age, see, you know, look at them as you would a decent, upright person to whom you love, but there's no lust in regards to that relationship. We've allowed the American culture to make everything about you know what. And that's working on our minds as well if we're not careful. And brethren, listen to this passage, what Jesus said. It's very distinct. It's probably a hard-hitting of passages I'm aware of in the Bible. If thy eye offend thee, do what? Ooh, how many one-eyed jacks in the church? If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's, of course, it's hyperbole. It's an exaggerated point. What Jesus is saying is anything that interferes with your righteousness to God, remove it. Not physically pull out your eye. You better work on your heart. Because you could physically have one eye less and still go to hell if your heart wasn't right. Jesus said this. If a man looks upon a woman to lust. Y'all listen to this. If a man looks upon a woman to lust, he hath already committed adultery where? In his heart. Now, that, that's not a reason for divorce. I want to get y'all clear on that. I mean, some people go, that's a whole other lesson I wish I could give tonight. There's three types of Adultery in scripture, we have the physical act, we have the mental act, and we have the spiritual act. The physical act is where the Matthew 19, 9 comes into play. But here's the thing, young men and ladies, because pornography is not just a gentleman discussion anymore. Am I right? And some young ladies are just as aggressive in areas that they shouldn't be as men are. So this is not an issue about one sex or the other, female or male. This is an issue for all the church, young and old. He walks off the roof, not off the roof, excuse me. Oh, my, my. We had poor David. Oh, he walks onto the roof, excuse me, but looks down off the roof. And what seems to be an innocent glance one time ends up turning into a series of events. Young people, don't tell me that pornography doesn't affect people. It affected King David. Now, he found repentance. Amen, right? He found repentance. But I'm going to promise y'all, that road that he had to walk until he found repentance was not an easy road to walk. Sin comes with a price, and sometimes our preachers are negligent in discussing this. Sometimes we jump so quick to forgiveness, we forget to emphasize to our people, especially our young people, yes, God will forgive you. It's unquestionable God will forgive you because he's good and gracious and kind and loving. And when we repent as Christians, undoubtedly he will forgive you. But that does not remove the pain that's going to come when Uriah the Hittite finds out what David has done. That's not going to change the fact that David's baby with that is going to die. That's not going to change the fact of how people in it, how they looked at David temporarily. That's not going to change the fact of the separativeness and the loneliness and despair that David felt at a distance to God while he was in his sin. So, how can we have a lesson tonight about strengthening the family? Or how can we have a lesson 
about fortifying our faith or fighting for our families unless we covered a topic that is, to me, piercing the souls of people far and near, causing much damage and destruction, and that is the observance of pornography. Young men, really the only person that you ought to be looking at in that way is your wife. One young man said, yeah, but I don't have a wife. And that's why you should not be looking at any type, uh, any type of things like that. Now, let me ask you all a question. How many older men in here that have children, that have little girls, do you know for every man that looks at a woman like that, y'all know she's somebody's daughter? Am I right? That's somebody's daughter. How many men do you want looking at your daughter like that? So for every young lady that our eyes look upon that's not our wife, we have really not only offended God, but we have offended some man, even though we don't know who he is, we have offended him. We need to take another look at the way in which we conduct ourselves. I believe we ought to bring dignity and class back to the world beginning in the church. We ought to live upright and holy. And while there is beauty in intimacy, there's nothing wrong with having that discussion at a different day. There's nothing wrong. We don't want our children to grow up thinking that those things are bad. They're beautiful. In fact, Hebrews 13 and 4 says, marriage is what? Honorable. And the bed is undefiled. There's a time and place for it. But it's not casually on some emotional roller coaster of up and down that led by the cultural demands of the left that says that it's okay to look anywhere you want to look and do anything you want to do sexually. That's not what the truth of the passage teaches. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God shall judge. And you can commit adultery physically, but you can also commit it mentally. Jesus said, He that looketh upon the woman to lust hath already committed adultery in his heart. So before David ever, ever went to bed with Bathsheba, he'd already planned it out and accepted it in his mind. And your mind will take you to the action. And that's why we have to be careful. Proverbs 4 and 23, the Bible says to keep our hearts. Some translations will say guard our hearts. Why? Because out of it proceedeth all the issues of life. Matthew 15, I believe verse 19, Jesus spoke and said that out of the heart proceedeth all of these things. Anything you do comes from your heart. Well, how does the heart get corrupt? The heart gets corrupt when even good people like King David because he was a good man. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, right? Even when good people fall for Satan's tactics, they can have a decade or an entire life of misery because of a poor decision. Let me tell you all something. Satan is after us. He's after the preacher. He's after the elders. He's after for husbands and wives. He's after us all. Men, we have to fight for our families more now than ever. We can't afford to allow the world into our homes. Limit the world. We cannot afford to allow seeds of dysfunction to be intentionally sown. We've all made mistakes. But once we see patterns and things that are occurring and we can see that some of our decisions are, are causing things to happen that's not right, we should immediately, immediately quit sowing those seeds and try to correct the situation. 
We must restrain our children to the best possible capacity that we know how. And we must not allow things like pornography to interfere with our spiritual intimacy with God. Young ladies, let me give you some advice tonight. And young men. You need to be very careful when you start what the world calls dating. You've got to be very careful today. Who you marry comes from who you date. Right? I mean, most people is not just going to walk up and say, I'll marry you. And if they told you that, you wouldn't say yes anyways. So that tells me you need to be careful. And too many young people want to try to date or to marry to save somebody. If you want somebody to be saved, get the elders and the preacher and go study with them. Dating in a marriage is not for evangelism. Y'all with me? You're not to go out and to just, just to be with people in a relationship to try to make them better. If someone is not in tune with God, if someone is not in tune with God, you need to be careful because it's actually easier for evil to bring good down than it is for good to bring evil up. That's why the Apostle Paul said, be not deceived. Evil companions do what? Corrupt good morals. 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. So tonight I'm encouraging us all from the scripture that we do not allow ourselves, young men and women, to entangle ourselves with the affairs of the world. And even if they're in the church, I don't say date in the church, marry in the church. I used to say that. I, I quit saying that because that wasn't quite good enough. What I say now is date and marry someone in the church who's faithful, who's so in love with God, they're not without fault, but they're so in love with God that they're going to help you and strive to enter in to the heavenly gates. Last but not least, I want to end the meeting on this note. This entire pew up here is empty except for Brother Gossett, and I know he'd be the first one to hug your neck if you came up tonight and to talk to you about your soul if you needed it, or one of the elders, Brother Scoggins. With all the things we've discussed this week, I want to start first tonight the invitation with those that are already in Christ, Christians. Coming from the book of Luke, chapter 15, the Bible says there that there are two sons. The Bible informs us that one of those sons demanded his inheritance early, went out and spent it all upon riotous living. He did not limit the world to himself, but he took all the world in. And he went about as far as away from the father as you could possibly go. You note in the text, though, the father never leaves his station. In all of our riotous living, in all of our distance from God, no matter what we do, if we are already in Christ, now you've got to stay with the lesson. If you're not a Christian, what I'm talking right now does not apply to you. You've got to be a child of God to have access to, to Luke 15 here. This man was already a son, was he not? And he had gone off. One son stayed and was faithful, but one son went off. And he lived in such a way as to embarrass his father, to bring shame to his family. Some children go off and, and really cause a bad name to be given to them. The Bible says, young people, that a good name is rather to be chosen than silver and gold. All you have is your name. Protect your name. But as bad as sin is, and it's ugly, 
the love of God is greater than the ugliness of our sin. Because the riotous living of this man, he goes completely out. What I want you to know is the Bible says in Luke 15 that he came to his sense. Tonight, maybe there's somebody here that's in Christ. But you've been tangled up. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's forsaking the assembly. Maybe it's sowing seeds of dysfunction. Maybe it's not being there for your family. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, you know in your heart. You know. Nobody else knows. You know that you're separate from God. Just like David was for a time. But David was stirred because he was a good man. And he went back to God. So it is the case in Luke 15. The Bible says that he came to his senses. And when, when he arises, he says, I am going to arise and go to my father. He says, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned. We need to be able to say, not in pride, there's nothing proud about our sin. There's nothing to glory about in our sin. But we ought to be able to say in humility, when we sin, we ought to be able to say, not blame it on this one or that one. We ought to be able to say, especially as men of our homes, we ought to be able to say, I have sinned and I am going to do better. In fact, the prodigal son here, the Bible says, or the lost son, however you want to term him, he says that he knows that there is bread enough to spare at his father's house. And yes, he has wasted it all. I want you to know tonight that as we close this meeting, God's invitation and God's love for you is as strong now as it's ever been. Your departure from God does not change the fact that he loves you. He won't save you. He won't save you in riotous living. But he will take you back when you turn from riotous living and come back to righteous living. God is good. Aren't you thankful we serve a God that not only rescues us initially from our sin in gospel obedience and baptism, but that he also has set up a divine system that allows us to return when we depart on occasion, that those who stumble can be strengthened. Those that are overtaken, Galatians 6.1, can be restored. And I wonder tonight if we could better teach, set before the people the divine love of God as echoed in this particular chapter. And when he comes, we know that the story mentions not only a divine and wonderful reception, but the relationship is instantly back to what it was. Oh, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you wandered off, if you're a man, a husband, a wife, and there's things in your family that you've been struggling with, why don't you set the record straight? Why don't you find strength in God? Come home and be restored back to God. Set your family through the great fortification of faith. Hear the words of Nehemiah. Fight for your families. Don't allow the culture. Don't allow the world. Don't allow pornography. Don't allow the things of this world to strip you and to rob you from your relationship to God. And if they have temporarily under the devil's assault, because that's what it is, if he has deceived you temporarily and taken you hostage back to the world like he did Demas in 2 Timothy 4, maybe it is the case that tonight, tonight you want to come home and the love of God will fill this place 
alongside the love of this church, the brethren, to welcome you like you've never been welcomed before. Now, what if you're not in Christ tonight? I have to tell you, you, you can't come back to God if you've never come to him the first time. A son can't come home if he never was a child to begin with. You've got to be a child of God to come back home. Well, what if someone's not a child of God tonight? Oh, you grew up in the area of Tennessee. You heard Bible on the radio. You heard it here and there. You had aunts and uncles that were religious of this stripe and of this color. But you never actually understood the real, authentic gospel plan of salvation. Well, it's our honor tonight to close this meeting. It is an honor to be able to express to the crowd one more time what God desires of man. God desires that all men would be saved. Christ died that all men might come to a knowledge of the truth and have sin forgiven and be reconciled in fundamental relationship back to the Father of heaven. God wants to love you. He loves you even when you are in sin, yes, but he wants to love you in a very intimate and special way in Christ and in the church if you will let him. Are you in the will? Oh, I'm not talking about your parents. High as inflation is, there might not be nothing left anyways. Are you in the will of Jesus Christ? Is your name been written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Are you a child of God? Oh, I know tonight that anyone here in this area, I would say most people believe strongly that Jesus Christ died for our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Would we agree that Christ died on the cruel cross of Calvary? Paul would say in Galatians, upon the tree, that he died for sinners, Romans 5, 8. He died that we might have opportunity to be saved. But not only was he horribly and unjustly murdered, but he was buried and he rose again the third day. On the first day of the week, when they came to the tomb, the tomb was empty. The tomb is a pronouncement to the entire world that the God, the founder of the church of Christ, is living. He is not dead. He is not upon the cross, and neither should we leave him there. We remember the sacrifice on the first day of the week that he gave, but we also look, we look unto him. Hebrews 9 and 28, who will come a second time without sin unto salvation? Because if he, by his own power, the scripture says, could raise up his own life, can he not resurrect you on the last day? 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Notice who's going to rise? The dead in Christ. Well, how are the dead in Christ? Why are they rising? Because anyone that's going to go to glory someday has to be in Christ. In Christ. Look at this. Belief in Jesus. All right, you're moving. You're headed in the right direction. It's like stairs. It's like these stairs right here. You believe unto. U-N-T-O. This is the plan of salvation here. And right here you're believing. Without faith it's impossible to please. In Hebrews 11 and 6. But you're not in Christ yet. You're moving towards, you're moving towards salvation. Now, when you repent of your sins, turn a spiritual U-turn, acknowledge and, and move from them towards God. And Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. You're not in Christ yet, though, are you? But you're moving towards Him. These steps are both necessary. 
God wants all men to be saved, but Jesus makes it very plain. A man must believe, John 8 and 24, and he must repent. But he's still not in Christ. A man must confess with the mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said that if we confess him before men, he will confess us before his Father, Matthew the 10th chapter. And Acts 8 and 37, a man that is on his way to salvation, he's not saved yet. He asked the preacher, what hindereth me from being baptized? I want to be baptized. What hinders me? Maybe you want to be baptized. And you ask the question, what would keep me from being baptized tonight? Here it is. If thou believest, remember that step? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. All right? So what else is there? The eunuch said, I believe. He made that confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. The eunuch believed, repented, confessed. Then the Bible says Philip stopped the chariot in Acts the 8th chapter. He commanded the chariot to stand still. When they came to a certain body of water, and he got out along with Philip and the eunuch, and the Bible says they both went down into the water. And Philip baptized the eunuch. Well, what does that do? Baptism accesses the blood. How do you know that, preacher? Because Romans 6.3 identifies that in the death of Jesus was the shedding of the blood. The death is what's necessary for you to contact the blood. Well, how do you die today? How do you die buried and resurrected? You do that through baptism. You reenact. Romans 6, 3, know ye not, so many of us, as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. How could you be saved if you've never contacted his death? Paul says you're baptized into his death. Oh, we hope somebody tonight is ready. What a way to conclude the meeting. Somebody to start their new life in Christ, a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, because Romans 6, 4 says, when you are raised up, you're raised to walk in newness of life. So those two categories tonight need to get ready to respond to the invitation. If you're already a Christian and you've wandered off, your family or your soul, you, you, you need to come back and be refortified. Tonight's your night. If you're not in Christ, believe Jesus as the Son of God. Repent of and from your sins. Confess His name and be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Christ will add you to the church, Acts 2 and 47. You remain faithful to your death. And in doing so, someday, if we stay faithful, all of us here have the hope and, yea, even the promise to be together forever in heaven, those of us who hold fast the faith. Come as we stand and as we sing.